And I am Aware Now. Aware Now, the official platform for causes. Tune in and turn it up as we raise awareness one story at a time for the causes that tie us all together. Boykin is a TV and film producer, national political commentator, New York Times bestselling author, and a former White House aide to President Bill Clinton. His latest book is Race Against Time, The Politics of a Darkening America. Fearlessly rejecting respectability politics, Keith embraces all parts of his identity and empowers others to do the same. In a recent post of yours, Keith, you provided this important reminder for all of us. And I quote, remember the point of life is to live. With the many hats that you've worn in your life from actor to author to aid at the White House, is there a particular professional hat that made you feel personally most alive? Well, thank you for that question. I was a little chuckling a bit when I heard the word actor because I'd never really been an actor, although at some point I thought I might be but I never actually was a working actor. But I have been a producer, I've been a, 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 a writer, a, a, an author, a, a TV commentator, a lawyer, a reality show uh, participant, um, and a few other jobs, a teacher, or professor, and some other things I can't think of. And I don't know that any one job defines me. And in fact, I'm working on a new book now called Quitting, Leaving Why I Left My Job to Live My Life with Freedom. And part of it is because I, I don't think that I find value or definition for myself solely in uh, a job title. Um, I find it in trying to do work that has meaning to me, that I think work that makes a difference, work that, work that helps to, to make an impact on people's lives. Uh, so I can't think of any one hat, I would say, that would describe that best. Um, I think the title I like best is human. I like the, I like the fact that I get to live, uh, get to live my life with freedom and to, to do so in a way that works for me. Uh, one day that might mean being a writer, another day it might mean being a producer, another day it might mean uh, being a TV commentator or an author or a lawyer or whatever else. It's just, I like the flexibility that comes with uh, being human and being free. Nice. And so it's not necessarily what the hat is, but how you wear it, right? Exactly. Awesome. I, I, should, I should put on a hat now just to, to demonstrate the point. <laughs> um, you know, so I want to get back to that quote that I just referenced. So the second part of it was, don't work so hard that you forget to smell the roses along the way. And often we do, we get so caught up in the race of life that we forget to slow the pace on occasion to simply just enjoy it. My question for you now, Keith, is what are some of the simple pleasures in your life that you enjoy? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question. It always reminds me of the quotation from Alice Walker's book, The Color Purple, uh, where she says, I think it pisses God off if you walk past the color purple in the field somewhere and don't notice it. And I think that there's so much beauty in the world that we just take, we just take for granted. The fact that we're alive, that we, we get to, to be a part of this, this planet right now, that to share with so many other people, to share the, the experience of being human. Um, 
I, I live here in Los Angeles now, and I love every day that I get to wake up and have this beautiful view behind me of the city. I love seeing the palm trees swaying in the uh, in in the wind. Um, I love just the simple pleasures of life. I, just a moment before I was eating. A, uh, my favorite little morning snack, which is uh, I have cash, warmed cashews and almonds and uh, mango um, chunks separately. Uh, and I just kind of like in the past few months kind of got addicted to this little thing. But there are so many little pleasures in life that, you know, you just kind of you take for granted. I love that I get, I love that I have freedom most of all. I love that I get to go to the gym every day. I mean, I go to the gym mostly every week, weekday when I'm at home. Um, I love that I just get to just to be me and be free. And uh, uh, yeah, it's, I get to control what happens on my day and in my days and on a regular basis and not have someone else tell me where I have to be and when I have to be there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly a lot to be said for that and that we do need to pause just and appreciate that. Um, you know, so I'd like to, in speaking about the racing through life, I want to talk more about race. Uh, in your latest book, Race Against Time, The Politics of a Darkening America, you share your own personal stories in a book about race and politics. You recognize a growing fear of a darkening America, a country in which there is no longer predominantly white majority. My question for you is, as a Black man in politics, what have you personally witnessed? Well, yeah, I mean, I've been involved in politics since I was a teenager, going back to high school. And I've seen so many changes during that time period. Um, when I, I worked on a campaign for Michael Dukakis for president in 1988, I worked on Bill Clinton's campaign in 1992, went to law school with President Barack Obama. Back in the day, in the, in the late 80s and early 90s, I don't think people, I, I think a lot of what's happened today would have been inconceivable, both the good and the bad. I don't think people would have conceived, I wouldn't have conceived in the late 80s and 90s that we'd have a black president by now. Um, and Barack Obama, my classmate or schoolmate would be that, that president. Um, I didn't imagine we would have marriage equality by now for LGBTQIA people. Um, I didn't imagine uh, that we would be as far as we are in some respects uh, on some issues uh, in our country. But I also, understood that there was this tension that whenever there was progress in America, that, that progress was met with a backlash. Mm -hmm. So the fact that we have had so much progress is it's not surprising to me then that there would be so much of a backlash, that we would have the, the rise of a Donald Trump following a, a Barack Obama, that we would have uh, the rise of fascism in our country, the rise of, of white supremacy and white nationalism, that we would have this division in our country that is unprecedented, I think, going, except at least in, in recent times, uh, you'd have to go back uh, some decades before you find an equivalent to what we're experiencing today. Um, and I, I guess I've seen this personally up close because I, I've been um, uh, both an insider and an outsider, an insider in terms of working in the White House, working in, in, in the establishment, and an outsider in terms of being a protester, being an observer, uh, and watching what's happened with the Black Lives Matter movement. The most interesting moment I can think of with that for me personally was that couple of years ago, I was uh, covering a Black Lives Matter protest in New York City, and I was arrested uh, for simply covering the protest on the West Side Highway um, 
um, in Manhattan. And the police, even after I told them that I was with the press, they refused to do anything about it. They arrested me. And yeah, yeah I don't know if you're going to say something or not. <laughs> oh, no, I'm just like, oof. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it pissed me off, too, because I'd been covering protests for decades and never in my life had ever been arrested, never even thought about the possibility of being arrested. I certainly wasn't trying to be arrested. Um, and it pissed me off because it happened the day after one of my CNN colleagues, Omar Jimenez, was arrested on air, live on air, while he was covering a George Floyd protest in Minneapolis. And he was arrested in the same protest where one of our white colleagues, Josh Campbell, was not arrested for covering the same exact protest. Ah, and even as observers, you know, as, as, as African-Americans or people of color, when we try to um, sort of, quote unquote, objectively report on something or, or observe something, we're still caught up in, in the whole sort of um, uh, dragnet of racism in America. Right, wow. And yeah, so it's interesting for you to see it, the inside and the outside of it um, and to have the perspective you have that's you know balanced in that way um, is really is really interesting. Um, you know, it, it seems to me that time is really not on our side and speaking to what you just said with the division in our country that's growing more and more every day along both racial and political lines, how do we begin to redirect? What steps do we need to take Keith, in your opinion, to, to save our, our union. Well, you know, it's interesting you say time is not on our side because I think I look at it a little differently because I think, you know, my last book is called Race Against Time, The Politics of a Darkening America. And the argument I make in that book is that the fear of time is what's motivating a lot of the backlash in our country. That a lot of white Americans are fearful of the change. They've seen a black president now for eight years. They've seen a, a, a black woman vice president. They've seen now a black woman on the Supreme Court. They see that uh, we had a woman who ran for president and got more votes than the white man who quote unquote defeated her. They see that we have marriage equality in all 50 states. They know that by the year 2050, uh, in the next 30 years, I should say, we, they know that the uh, Latino population will be the majority in at least uh, five states in our country. Uh, they know that the, the Asian American population is growing rapidly. Um, and they see all these trend lines along with the, the, uh, the most jarring of all, the Census Bureau report that white Americans will no longer be the majority of this country by the 2040s. Uh, and they see that, and that's why they're afraid that time is not on their side. And they're doing everything they can to stop this progress from taking place, to, to stop the counting of votes if necessary, to stop the transfer of power, a peaceful transfer of power from one president to another, to stop people from being able to vote, uh, to, to gerrymander congressional districts and to rig elections, to make sure they stay in power regardless of the change in democracy. And here's the thing, if you look at, the, look at this is going back to your previous question, how the country has changed. Mm -hmm. When I graduated from college in 87, um, at that point, um, I worked for the Dukakis campaign, he lost. And after, after that, at that point, Democrats had lost the presidency in five of the previous six elections and it looked hopeless. But since that time, Democrats have actually won the popular vote in the presidential elections in seven of the last eight races. 
So the, the tide has shifted as the country has diverse, diversified, and mm -hmm. that's what scares people. So I don't think that time is necessarily against us, but I don't necessarily think time is for us either. I go back to what Dr. King said. Dr. King once warned, warned that uh, time is neutral. It can be used either constructively or destructively. And he, he worried that people would assume that simply, the, simply thinking that the passage of time would cure all of our ills when it doesn't. <laughs> So I, I use that as a motivator. I think we have to be engaged to use our time wisely uh, because the people who are trying to stop change, who want to take away the rights of women and people of color and others, they're using their time um, very constructively and productively and have been for the past five decades. So we have to be as judicious and careful and strategic in the way we use our time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, no, that makes so much sense. Um, you know, so I want to go back to to your words. So a different post of yours. And I quote, I'm bringing sexy back, not the <laughs> song, not the song, of course, but the part of my identity that fearlessly rejects respectability politics. I love this post of yours. Mm. So for those who are unfamiliar with the term respectability politics, I would love for you to share the definition in words of your own and why why people need to understand these words well respectability politics is basically an, an idea that we have to engage in behavior in public that is respectable for the outside world um because if we don't then people are going to look at us differently so if we're black we have to always be upstanding and speak properly and so forth uh if we're women we have to we have to behave in a way that doesn't cause harm to the the community of women if, if we're uh lgbtqia people we have to make sure that we're we're uh, not too sexual or not we're not too overt in our behavior or anything like that and i'm saying that we have to reject all those labels because they're they're used to confine and define us they're used to put us in boxes and they they frame the argument in the context that that doesn't allow us to 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 identify ourselves in all the different ways in which we show up so yes there are good and bad people in every community there are people people have all different sorts and ranges of behaviors and patterns and we should be able to embrace that we can't we don't have to be um uh, to fit into some sort of box where we all have to dress properly in dresses and ties and and look a certain way and talk a certain way to, to be deserving of respect. Uh, it, it's it's terrifying to me that, you know, I, I remember a lot of these incidents where a lot of these black kids have been killed over the years. And we keep hearing th stories about, well, you know, this person wasn't an angel or this person, you know, had this in their past this person smoked weed or something like that and i say you should it shouldn't matter uh whether you're an angel or not you should, all of us are just are, are entitled to be treated with respect and dignity mm -hmm. uh and all of us have the right to live our lives as full human beings not necessarily fitting into somebody else's definition so how that operates for me as a black gay man a lot of it is the people try to put me in boxes and feel like well you shouldn't be too um um, I, you shouldn't be too sexual or too bodish. You shouldn't post thirst traps on social media. And, and I feel like, you know, I'm a single, I'm a single guy. I can do whatever I want unless there's somebody who I'm involved with who doesn't want me to do it. But I, I feel like in terms of my life, I shouldn't have to show up in a way that's presentable to the public in order for you to take me seriously. 
Um, yes. And that's that's a hard hard thing to do for a lot of people because so many people, even within our own communities, are trying to make us fit into those boxes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Down with the boxes. We should be <laughs> past the boxes. Um, you know. So thank you for for describing and defining as you did. Um, you know. So so in a time where we find ourselves defined and undermined by social constructs. You end that post, that very same post of yours that I just referenced. I'm embracing all the various parts of my identity and I hope you feel empowered to do the same. I love this too. Um, it's not enough to acknowledge someone's pronouns or accept someone's preference. Appreciation is required as individuals and as a society. So in these divided times, my last question for you is this, it's how do we cultivate that appreciation in our society? Yeah, that's a really good question. And um, I think you hit, you hit the nail on the head. We have to go past tolerance and, and old fashioned sort of acceptance and to figure out a way to get to appreciation. Well, part of it is is a re-understanding of what diversity means in our country. You know, there's a big focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion in, our, in, in the U.S. Uh, these days in corporate America. But how serious is it? And in order to make it serious, it means we have to go beyond just sort of allowing people into the room, uh, but appreciating what they have to say when they're in the room, appreciating uh, their voices and the different ways in which they may communicate, which is a difficult thing for some people to do. Um, and so how do we cultivate that? Um, well, part of it is, is changing the sort of the mindset that we use. I, I was brought up and taught the old uh, melting pot uh, analogy for America. But this is all this is all a melting pot. We're all brought together and we all come out as one because of that, you know, e pluribus mm -hmm. unum, so to speak. Um, and I don't believe that anymore. I believe in sort of what I call a salad bowl analogy for America, which is if you have a salad, you know, you have different parts of it. You might have lettuce and spinach and tomatoes and onions and mushrooms and carrots and dressing and all these different things. And you don't mush them together in a blender and make them one. <laughs> yeah. You eat them and you eat them and they come to you and they have different flavors and tastes and textures. And, and that's how you appreciate it. And that's what our country is. We, I hate when people say, oh, I don't see race. I don't want to see, I don't see color or whatever. We don't want to be ignored. We don't want to, we don't want people to ignore our differences. We want to be appreciated for those differences. We don't, we don't want to be mistreated for those differences either. But we want to be appreciated. Every, a, a, a cherry tomato is not the same as an olive, which is not the same as a, as a, as a carrot, which is not the same as a mushroom. They all add some different flavor to the salad. Yeah. And so we all should appreciate those different things. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I love that. And with that, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I thought it just went out for a second. I thought it was frozen for a second. Oh. <laughs> okay. No, I just meant to say that, you know, with, with all of that said, what a beautiful analogy. And now, in addition to being hungry, uh, I am very <laughs> thankful for you and for taking your time. Um, such an honor, such a pleasure to have this conversation with you. I want to thank you for your time and also just for helping all of us become a bit more aware now. Thank you so much, Kate. Thank you so much. Take care.
tune into our podcast, subscribe to our magazine, find us and join us online. Visit IamAwareNow.com. We will no longer wait for permission to change the world. Together, we are aware now.